It's good to be uh, with everyone. My name is Joseph Bianco, uh, Associate Pastor of City Reformed. It's good to be with you all. So we have been preaching a sermon series through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, From my perspective, I feel like I'm really loud. Do you feel like I'm very loud? Okay. Maybe just a tiny bit. Okay. Um, And today was uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question 37 and 38. that we'll reflect on throughout this passage. So let me begin by reading the word and our response will be thanks be to God. This is page six and seven of your bulletin. From Philippians uh, chapter one, verses 12 to 28. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from rivalry or envy, but others from goodwill. And the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let me begin um, by reading a short excerpt from Winnie the Pooh. This is, this is actually in the beginning of your bulletin as well. I think I put it there <clears throat> on the inside cover. Eeyore, the old gray donkey, stood side, on the side of a stream and he looked at himself in the water. Pathetic, he said. That's what it is. Pathetic. He turned and walked slowly down the stream for 20 yards, splashed across it, and walked slowly back on the other side. And then he looked at himself in the water again. As I thought, he said, no better from this side. But nobody minds. Nobody cares. Pathetic. That's what it is. There was a crackling noise in the bracken behind him, and out came Pooh. Good morning, Eeyore, said Pooh. 
Good morning, Pooh Bear, said Eeyore gloomily. If it is a good morning, he said, which I doubt, said he. Why? What's the matter? Nothing, Pooh Bear, nothing. We can't all, and some of us don't. That's all there is to it. Can't all what? said Pooh Bear, rubbing his nose. Gaiety, song and dance. Here we go around the mulberry bush. I'm not complaining, but there it is. So Eeyore is depressed. Um, and while it's, it's kind of uh, cute to read that about Eeyore, depression um, is a kind of prison, isn't it? Today we meet Apostle Paul in prison, and, and he wasn't depressed. In fact, uh, he was quite the opposite. He was rejoicing. He was rejoicing. How can the Apostle Paul rejoice in prison? How can the Apostle Paul proclaim Christ if he's in prison? Frankly, in the prisons of life, it is often our temptation to believe that God has abandoned us and we can fall into fear or depression. And what we're going to look at today is that for the Apostle Paul and for us today, nothing is hopeless in the life of a Christian. Nothing is hopeless. Because nothing is hopeless in the life of a Christian, Paul shows us these three contrasting themes in this passage that at first glance you wouldn't think go together. You think might create despair, but they don't. And that's these. The first is imprisonment and proclamation. These are my three points. The second is deliverance in life and in death. And the third is standing firm in the prison of fear. Let's look at imprisonment and proclamation. Uh, It's important for us to understand the nature of Paul's imprisonment in verses 12 to 18. Um, There's three suggestions of where Paul may have been geographically, either in Caesarea, Rome, or in Ephesus. And most likely he was imprisoned in Rome, and that's based on this language of imperial guard. Now, the imperial guard could have been a building, but more than likely it was actually a guard like a Roman guard, um, to whom Paul would have been chained day in and day out. So, interestingly, in Mark 7.35, when Jesus heals a man uh, who was uh, unable to talk, the ESV says this. It says, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. But in the Greek, the literal language is, the chains of his tongue were loosed. So here, Paul is likely not in a prison cell, but he is likely chained to a guard night and day. Now, I want you to imagine that, being chained to another human for years on end, night and day. No privacy. But on the other hand, I heard a preacher say this. I want you to imagine what it was like for the guard to be chained to the world's greatest evangelist. Paul preached the gospel, even in prison. Verse 13, when Paul says, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard, he's talking about the gospel. And verse 14 is that these brothers who are encouraged by Paul's preaching, too, are encouraged to preach the gospel. So let me make this point a different way. Even in prison, the gospel is not bound. Chains cannot hinder the gospel, but in fact, further it. 
Now, verses 15 to 18 is a reference to those brothers from verse 14 who are encouraged. Paul says some of those brothers preach from, uh, from sincerity and some preach from rivalry. Uh, but Paul doesn't care as long as they preach Christ. Now, why would Paul not care? Well, most likely these brothers are not preaching a false doctrine the ones from rivalry or sincerely. Um, But the ones from rivalry are preaching from a a poor motivation, a bad motivation. Paul seems to only care whether the gospel is being preached and that it's clear. And to be honest, before we judge the brothers preaching out of rivalry, uh, we needed to look at our own hearts and think about what it's like when we're given the opportunity to stand publicly and have a word in front of people. Our hearts can do all kinds of things. Now, what, the, what is the overarching theme of this first section? It's this, imprisonment and proclamation. I want you to think about it this way. I'm certain that Paul's plan was not to go to prison. That wasn't his plan. In fact, we know that he had plans to travel all over the known world at the time to preach the gospel, but he's stuck. He's stuck in Rome. And, you know, he could have cried out to God like Job. You know, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel out there. But he doesn't. The Apostle Paul has an astounding response in prison. End of verse 18. He says, yes, I will rejoice. How? How could you rejoice? Would I rejoice in Paul's place? I don't know if I have that kind of faith. Paul can rejoice because he knows whether he is in prison or he is free, the Lord is not bound. He knows the Lord is not bound. God is not in chains. And that he has Paul exactly where he wants him to be. So Paul, being the mature Christian he is, takes every opportunity to proclaim Christ. Now, most of us uh, are not going to be arrested by a Roman soldier, imperial guard, uh, and faced with a trial that could result in our death. So how do we relate to Paul? Well, we might not be in prisons, but many of us are in prisons. Do you know what I mean? Life has its prisons, doesn't it? Some are due to our own sin. So you can think about a porn addiction, for instance. You want to leave it, but you can't. Some are due to sin done against us, like Paul, who did nothing wrong and was thrown into prison. Some are due to sickness and illness, which can be our fault and also many times is not. As someone who wrestles with various illnesses, I can tell you uh, from experience that sometimes my body can feel like a prison. When you just don't get better. Or maybe if you're someone whose mobility was taken away, or mental health is gone, it can feel like life is a prison. You know, my own father suffered from a uh, brain injury when I was young, um, which took away his short-term memory. And I suffered most of my childhood with my father uh, suffering against the walls of his mind. I want you to please hear me on this. Jesus Christ is the only person who can give us hope in the prisons of life. 
By every right, Paul should feel abandoned, but he doesn't. When we're sick, don't we feel abandoned? But we're not. When addiction comes in and we ask the Lord, why aren't you taking it away? We might feel rejected, but we're not. He has not left us in every opportunity, in every circumstance of life. The believer knows that there's opportunity to proclaim Christ. Now I want you to hear some caveats. It is right to grieve when tragedy happens. It's right to grieve. Absolutely. Should we not mourn sickness and illness for evil done against us? Absolutely we should. But we do not stay there. Paul believes that God is good all the time. He believes that God is in control all of the time. So that even in prison he can rejoice that the gospel is proclaimed. So let me ask us, how do you respond in the prisons of life? How do you respond? Is there hope in your tears? It's a challenge to us, but it's also a comfort. Now, this is exactly where Paul goes, by the way, into the subject of life and death. And this is our second point, deliverance in life or in death. So would you read with me in verse 19? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, is Paul talking about being rescued from jail here? What's his deliverance? And I'll actually argue that his deliverance is not a reference to being rescued from jail. Why? Well, there's a few reasons. The first is that Paul goes on to consider his death. And then with that, his desire to be with Jesus. But the second is this word deliverance in the Greek is actually the exact same word for salvation. So you see, we 21st century Americans tend to think of the word salvation as only our justification, which it is. That's part of salvation. When we first believe and we're made right. But in Paul's writings, he uses the word salvation in three different kind of ways. He uses it in the sense of I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Paul isn't referencing deliverance from prison. He's referencing salvation from the trial. Whether that salvation comes in life or in death. But here's the kicker, and it almost sounds blasphemous, but it's not. He says that his salvation is dependent on two things. The help of the Spirit in the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the Philippians. And it's a reminder to us how important it is to be praying for those amongst us in the prisons of life. God will work through your prayers. You know, we often think of prayer as my time to connect with God. And it certainly is that. But it is so much more. The Lord acts on the prayers of his people. The Apostle Paul asks for prayer from the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? My, uh, the greatest gift you could give me is to pray for, for, pray for me and for my family. Our prayers, our prayer groups wage war against the evils of this world. Paul goes on to say, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put ash- made ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So that word eager expectation is actually a contraction of words. It means uh, it's from the contraction head and then stretching out. Um, so it's this picture of kind of stretching out your head forward in hope. Like what's going to happen? 
Paul has full courage in the midst of his imprisonment that Christ will be honored in his life or in his death. So if I could say it again, nothing for Paul can hinder the gospel. Even death would not stop it. Now there's two things, and I want you to notice this idea of life and death accompanied with the language of body and flesh. Verses 20 to 22. So as we consider that catechism question about death and resurrection, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't separate that from the work of the body. Of the body. He could have said, Christ will be honored in my spirit. But he doesn't. He says, my body. Why? Well, Christianity proclaims bodily death and bodily resurrection. But also that that death doesn't have the final word for life now. Paul is certain that if he lives, he'll proclaim Christ. If he dies, his death will proclaim Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul has no competing desires in his life. His whole life is about Jesus. And this is why he can say in verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure we'd all be ready to say this. Would we be willing to say right now, my desire is to depart and be with Jesus? And this is a challenge to us because it shows us that we have competing loves in our life. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, this question of desiring, what I say right now, I'm ready to desire and go with be, to be with Jesus, and I thought about, naturally, my children. You know, there are great tragedies in the life of Christians, and Christians, more than anyone else we know, wrestle with that question of, when those tragedies hit, God, is this really the plan? Why would you allow this? You know, God forbid something were to happen to myself or my wife. But if it did, we might ask this, the question, is this really the plan? This feels like a bad plan. And we have to be careful here. It's not wrong to think that when tragedy strikes that the plan seems bad. Because to us it does. In fact, it's very right for me to be alive to raise my kids, isn't it? But I want you to please hear this. We can fall so in love with this life that we would prefer it over Jesus himself. And that is wrong. C.S. Lewis talked about it this way. He talked about disordered loves. So it's not that we love our children uh, too much. It's that we love Christ too little. It's disordered. In many things in our lives, many things are disordered. So let me ask you, what is disordered for you? When you think about leaving to be with Jesus, where would you put on the brakes? Just a bit. There are some standard things in life we love. Health, money, success, family, careers. But do you love Jesus more? The moments I can say yes to that question are often moments that God has exposed those disordered loves In my heart through suffering, those prisons of life can expose in us where our hearts truly lie. And Paul gives gives us this ideal picture of how we should respond. We look in the face of the prison and we laugh. We rejoice. We say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. Nothing can keep a Christian down. That's how we ought to respond, but how can we respond in this way? Let's look at that now. Standing firm when confronted with fear. So even though Paul is contemplating his possible death by Roman trial, uh, or continued life, depending on what happens, he has this sense that God is trying, is going to keep him around for the sake of the Philippians. Um, So he says, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. (laughs) Um, And then verse 25 and 26, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, did Paul receive some revelation from God that he knows he's going to stick around? My guess is probably not what's probably more likely is that he sees that the Philippians have a lot of problems <laughs> and uh, they have a lot of need and his sense is the Lord's going to keep them around. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but there is a theme that's being repeated as he's relating to the Philippians. You see, verses 24 to 26, he's telling them he's going to remain with them um, so that they have ample cause to glory or boast in Christ. So Paul, in the face of Roman trial, stands firm in order to encourage the Philippians. But then in verse 27, he says, You Philippians, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. So Paul's an example of standing firm in the fear of prison so that the Philippians might stand firm. So in this sense, Paul kind of turns the tables back on the Philippians. You know, he, he sees his own trial for the purpose of encouraging the Philippians to remain faithful. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now this is an interesting translation uh, here. Because if you read it in like a Bible, in the ESV, you'll see a little footnote. And it'll say, Greek only behave as citizens worthy. Um, And the word that Paul is using in verse 27, to let your manner of life be worthy, it's actually a Greek verb that's pretty rare, and it has this sense of denoting citizenship. His point is that to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel is to keep your identity as a citizen of heaven in the face of the prisons of life. So I want you to think about that. Prison is demoralizing. It strips you of your freedoms, of your clothes, of your belongings. The prisons of life are demoralizing. But Paul is saying your citizenship is as a son or a daughter of the king. Your citizenship, who you are, is safe in heaven. It is secure. And the only way to be worthy of the gospel of Christ is if you're living out of that identity. That's who you are. In the face of trial and hardship, the chains that hold us down in Christ, you are not bound. There are particular temptations for all of us in life that pull us away from that citizenship. That poke at our identities. And I wonder what those are for you now. How might you identify yourself? 
You know, when the rubber meets the road, when life's a mess, when the tears do not stop flowing, where do you go? To whom do you run? From where comes your comfort? And those actions can tell us a lot about where our hearts are. But Paul says to the Philippians, and he says to us, stand firm. And here's some great news. He doesn't say stand firm alone. He says stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. Please hear this. You cannot make it alone. I cannot make it alone. I asked earlier for your prayers. You ask for each other's prayers. The prisons of this life are not meant to be lived out alone. In isolation, we're meant to do this together. And if you find yourself in life in one of those prisons, and you do not call for help, if you do not let anyone else in, you should not expect to find help. Because Christ has called us to do it together. You need a brother or a sister in Jesus to remind you in those moments to whom you belong that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. On our own, we forget. We forget that because of the grace of Christ, we've been made worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we're meant to do this together. The last thing Paul says in verse 28 is that the Philippians are not to be frightened in anything by their opponents. The way uh, you will know if Christ is your life is by the fears you confess. Let me say that again. The way you know that Christ is your life is by the fears you confess. So Paul says not to be frightened in anything. What we love, what we love can show us our disordered loves. But what we fear can also show us disordered loves. What we are afraid to lose. For Paul, you couldn't take anything from him. Christ was his life. He had everything. There was nothing he held on to more than Jesus. You know, I wasn't planning on on mentioning this, but the coronavirus is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And what's it challenging? Our fear of life and death. Our fear of security. Our fear of illness. You know, I was talking with Soul the other day, and uh, she was sharing how her mom is stuck at home night and day in Korea because of the virus. That can feel like a prison, can't it? Christian, our greatest hope, our greatest hope is that the Lord is the one that is in control. Our greatest enemy longs to keep us in fear. How can we with Paul proclaim the gospel of freedom to a watching world? Now let me end with this. Um, I said before there's a pattern. Paul stands firm in his imprisonment. He calls the Philippians to stand firm in the gospel. Uh, But implicit in every word of Paul is that the Lord Jesus stood firm for us. So another preacher said it this way. He said, if for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and for Jesus to live is you and to die is for your gain. 
So in the face of the biggest prison of life, death itself, the Lord Jesus stood firm. And what was his only joy as he hung on the cross? There was only one source of joy, and it was you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, says Hebrews 12 too. And his joy, his rejoicing, was that when he was lost, you might be found. That when he was destroyed, you might live. It's the core of the gospel. If you believe that Jesus died, that you might live, then you believe the gospel. And you've been made worthy. If fear and hopelessness rule your life, would you consider a hope outside yourself? One that you cannot create on your own. Would you consider placing your faith in Christ? For those of us who are standing firm, who proclaim with the Apostle Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain, may you continue to proclaim Christ in your life and in your death, in your prisons and in your resurrection. Let's pray.